Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over everything racing. Joining me in the studio, I've got uh, Joey Barnes, Richard Uden, and Louise Torres. Fellas, how are we doing tonight? Good, thank you. Doing great. It's, it's been pretty good for the most part. For the most part, yep. So good thing we're not on a football show because uh, Louise has been crying about the Seahawks, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's another story for a, uh, a football show. But uh, we are back. We're late getting back this year. We've had uh, things going on. I've had some uh, issues at home. Richard has been out of the country. Um, Joey's been be- busy as can be. But here we are. We're back. We're a couple of weeks into, into the season. We've had a couple of interesting races. We've got two brand new winners in major series between um, one of our favorite people to talk about Austin Cindric, who's now a Daytona 500 winner and uh, Scott McLaughlin, <laughs> who's now a, uh, now an IndyCar winner in, in pretty, pretty dominant um, Penske perfect fat uh, fashion there. Uh, we also saw the debut of the, um, the new car uh, through these races here. We saw the, we saw the NASCAR guys race in a football stadium uh, where um, Joey Logano was victorious. And we've seen uh, uh, Alex Bowman is our most recent winner uh, there in Vegas. And uh, the Fontana race was won by none other than Kyle Larson, who was uh, picking up where he left off last year, uh, winning races left and right. Formula One is yet to begin their season, but there's a lot of developments in Formula One uh, to talk about. Formula One being a big international series. Um, and of course, some international events going on are, uh, having some effect here and there. So uh, we'll pick a topic uh, to begin with here shortly. Uh, before I do, I want to mention uh, we have a, we have a sponsor and that would be Dan Blay automotive art. Um, if you uh, have a die cast car, specifically an Indy car that you'd like to have in your collection, but they just don't make it. Dan Blay's your guy between Dan and his son, Michael, they produce some beautiful, wonderful um custom-made die-cast cars. So uh, you get a hold of them for a price quote. You can find them on, on Facebook. They've got a Facebook page, Dan Blay Racing Art. So uh, go ahead and uh, check out Dan. There's lots of photos of his stuff. And uh, Dan, great friend of the show. We had him on last year, but the, the man does some fantastic work. So that being said, wh- where do you guys want to start? Joey, you want to talk about St. Pete? Sure, we can talk about St. Pete. What do you <laughs> want to talk about St. Pete? Oh, okay. Well, nice vacation destination here. 
nice vacation destination. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I think it's quite funny. You had some folks that were, um, you know, they were applauding Formula One for um, canceling the Grand Prix in Russia, but they were uh, saying, but yet, and but yet, IndyCar is going to race in St. Petersburg. Well, so yeah, wrong one. Yeah, you and I know that uh, St. Petersburg is in Florida, which is a nice vacation destination, and uh, you know, season of the earliest season opener we've had since. 2004 was the last time the season opened in February. Uh, unfortunately, we've got a, you know, three week break um, between races. But uh, at the at the end of the day, it was Scott McLaughlin who was hot in practice, hot in qualifying, one from the pole. But uh, it wasn't as easy as it looked. There were some different strategies going on, Joey. Yeah, there were. Uh, we had Scott Dixon on kind of a unique three stop strategy that uh, if he didn't get stuck behind Takuma Sato. Uh, probably around the middle stint of the hundred lap race. I mean, you're, you might be looking at Scott Dixon as, as the winner of that, that race, but uh, it was a really good, good run by, by McLaughlin. Honestly, it was kind of like a coming of age just to see not just, you know, how he started from pole to get down into turn one because St. Pete can be real challenging with the, with the breaking points there and just how he navigated the, the traffic. Um, <laughs> I personally enjoyed the fact that like there at the end, we kind of see that it's just a straight up fight between him and Polo, right? Alex Polo, the, the reigning series champion, and he was unnerved. I mean, he, he managed to hold, hold steady and, and that's how you would like to see somebody pick up their first win it is not through a fuel strategy play and not through being third with the, with the top two guys reckon, but for a straight up fight where you're having to defend against the series champion. So uh, it was almost perfect outside of the tumble and victory lane, but um yeah, it's it's fantastic run. It's good to be Penske right now. Apparently, with Austin Sindrick winning the 500, and then uh, and then McLaughlin opening up the IndyCar season with the win. So, but, right, um, and, and throwing throwing Logano winning the Clash. Yeah, right. Uh, Another yeah. So, but I mean, McLaughlin, he's a sophomore driver, second year driver, but he's far from what you would consider a rookie. Uh, I mean, here's a guy who's won multiple championships in Australian Supercar, which are admittedly. A, a very different discipline of racing. Um, and Scott started off last year pretty strong. He got a podium in Texas, I believe. Uh, but then he was kind of just kind of mediocre for the rest of the year, along with, you know, the rest of the Penske team, save for Newgarden, who came on strong at the end of the year. Now Penske's, after two kind of uncharacteristic off seasons, uh, Penske's really hot coming out of the box. They are. And it's, you know, it, it's amazing, too, when you think about some of the organizational changes that they've kind of undergone. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I was kind of surprised at um, somewhat in St. Pete was it's tough to look at the results uh, as as clear cut whenever you have the scenario with a with a caution that flies what lap 26, 28, somewhere around there for David Malukas and uh bump on the wall and that was the only caution to the race but it kind of throws the strategy out of whack so some of those finishes that we got weren't necessarily indicative of how strong people were running i mean i look at somebody like joseph newgarden who i don't have the results in front of me but if i remember right finished south of 15th i think he finished somewhere around 17th or so you look yeah, at I, Rossi. Think, I think it was yeah 16th and rossi was 20th yeah but th both those guys are pretty pretty good on track yeah, they had great pace. And and so and with Newgarden specifically fascinating with him because losing Gavin Ward, who he won his championship with, 
uh, most recent championship with um, to take over, roll over McLaren. Um, you know, he's got a new guy on the box, somebody that's been on the Chevy engineering side that they've worked with, but it's an, still a new voice in your ear. So trying to see how all of that comes together um, clearly didn't start off on the right foot, but with, with the result, but, you know, Texas is up next, a lot of positivity there for, for new garden and company, just Penske in general, obviously, and kind of excited to see what they can do. Cause I mean, you look at everything with the, with the growth of where he, where things go with him, he always seems to start well whenever he's got a new engineer. So um, really curious what happens there. I, I think the other telling thing is Will Power being third. Uh, so you got Penske finishing first and third at, at St. Pete. I'd be very interested to see what happens with him moving forward. Um, you know, because we know Will is bad fast. He's incredibly quick. He talks about the poles a lot because he definitely – he's close to that record and definitely wants that record. So um, in some cases you look at that and you're like, you know, is he more worried about poles than anything else? But – the results are still there. Uh, if he can go and start backing up a couple of finishes, you've got to start looking at him and wondering if he's kind of back in form to, to be a title threat on a more serious level than he has been in recent years. Yeah. Will is um, a guy who can never count out. I, I mean, his, the, the wins are fewer and farther between than they had been. You know, there were a couple of, you know, not too many years ago where Will was good for five to six wins a season. Uh, you know, but, but the, you know, the field is tightened up, but he certainly, you know, he looks like he hasn't lost uh, anything at St. Pete. He was, you know, he was there all day long last year was very disappointing for him. So it's a really good that he gets off on a, on, on the solid foot to start the season this year. Cause will characteristically um, historically <laughs> has a crap couple of first races. You know, even if you recall, not too many years ago, he had to sit out a race because he had an ear mm-hmm. infection that they misdiagnosed as a concussion. So for him to uh, uh, not play catch up early in the season is, I, I mean, you know, these other guys need to watch out, you know, and, and uh, you know, we can say that, uh, you know, Will is concerned with polls, but heck, he's the, he's the winningest uh, IndyCar driver at, in Penske history. You know, he's, yeah. uh, he's got, got all those... Uh, records there so um yeah so will's gonna be tough i was disappointed most in the mclaren team i mm. I, I really thought they would have uh, uh brought a little more to the opener i, I don't know if they uh they, they came off the truck with a bad setup but uh, they were i mean they were there but they were just there i mean but you had guys like uh the Foyt team who we expect to be lingering at the back. The Foyt team looked much improved between Kirkwood and, and um, you know, even uh, our Canadian friend, K-Line guy. Uh, Dalton, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dalton Kellett. Um, those, both those guys were pretty solid to, you know, to, to be in Foyt cars, you know, all, all considered, but uh, the, the McLarens were just kind of there, you know, well, as, along with the shank cars as well. The shank cars were just kind of there. Yeah. I think that I, Pato finished somewhere around fourth or fifth. And, you know, I look at kind of the rundown. I couldn't tell you where Felix finished, but, um, you know, when I look at everything that's kind of transpiring right now with IndyCar, with the universal aero kit, it, it, there's such a premium on passing. It's so challenging to, to be able to pull off the right passes uh, because a lot of these venues are so tight, but then you look at the fact that, you know, 
qualifying because passing has become so difficult uh qualifying has got such a premium put on it now i mean so the fact that he was able to come from like 10th or 12th on the grid whatever it was to to get a top five out of it i thought it was actually a really strong run out of him uh it's a good way to march march forward good way to just get points and you know i can't disagree with shank uh i know you frank you had mentioned shank kind of feeling not necessarily like they were very strong that was not that this isn't necessarily a slight that's kind of what i expected right now i there's a lot to that team having talked to elio over the off season um there's a lot with that team that they're still trying to figure out just because there's a lot that they still need to gather from a data perspective so you know in his words he even said that you know they're going to have really strong finishes but then there's going to be some times where they just you know they're not there um, you know, there's obviously hope that after you get through to Indy that you're going to kind of gather some, some finishes and some, some data to get some finishes, et cetera. But, um, you know, having hit or miss, I mean, I don't know another way to say it. This is IndyCar right now, right? Like everybody's hit or miss. Uh, the reason why Pelot was able to pull off the championship last year was because he was the least inconsistent out of everybody. But I mean, Usually you're going to see the champion have a mulligan, one bad race at least. Um, I think Polo had two finishes, three finishes outside the top 10 last year, maybe. But, um, you know, beyond that, it's just so challenging. And the fact that if your worst day can be fifth, you know, in the case of Pato probably, uh, I mean, that's hell, that's how you'd want to start it. I think anybody that's finished in the top 10 in St. Pete's probably pretty happy. Um but I think also something else that might get overlooked a little bit is how tough it's going to be to build momentum right now in this season. Because when you look at the fact that we got St. Pete and then we got three weeks later, we got Texas. And then three weeks later, we got Long Beach. Like there's such long gaps between the first hmm. three races of the season. And even after Long Beach, we get another three weeks and then finally we go to Barber. So the first four races really have such a big gap in them that I don't even know if you can really look at a guy and say, Oh, he's won. He's got momentum. He's coming into this race with momentum because there's such a break between the races that it's almost like you're starting fresh every week for the first two months of the season. Right. Then, so, we, quick then, yeah, then, then when we get into the summer, we've got several back-to-back races. Yeah. yeah including so, Joey, the, the doubleheader at Iowa. Quick question for you. Yeah. Um, on this sort of breaking momentum. Now, obviously, yes, you, you're very right. It, it has an, um, a sort of a, not a negative impact, but it does make it difficult for the driver and the teams and the like to get into that sort of flow and that rhythm and that momentum of, of racing. But also on the flip side, do you think it's an issue from a spectator standpoint? Because there's these big gaps and from the TV coverage, there isn't this sort of natural continuity that you'd like to see. And I'm not talking about the sort of the NASCAR level of, of every single week, but it just... You know, half the fans, you know, and because the calendar seems to jumble and change every year, it's, you know, it almost it feels like it's difficult to follow and keep abreast of. I would agree with that. I, I think, you know, if I was, I, I don't know the details of what goes on in TV on setting up races for specific things. I know that there was a few conflicts here and there, uh, which I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But the the biggest thing that I'm kind of pressed on is the fact that, like, if we can't put three races in six weeks, like to make it at least every other week, I think you lose momentum period. Uh, And I think even more so 
if you're, this is just my opinion, I'm probably wrong, but what the hell, uh, <laughs> you know, when you look at the fact that Formula One has created a, a new car that really resembles what an Indy car looks like right now, and they're going to be racing uh, before IndyCar races at Texas. If you're a casual viewer and you saw St. Pete and you're like, man, I really enjoyed that. I really can't wait to see those cars again. Let's just say one day you're channel surfing on a Sunday morning. You're going to see something and in, in what I think this weekend, right? Or no, the weekend uh, next after, weekend. Yeah. weekend after next. You're going to be sitting there looking at it and you're like, oh, well, damn. Now I, I see cars that look just like what I saw. They're a little different, but they look really close. Oh, and they're racing on somewhere else in the world. This must have been what I'm watching the other day. And yeah. now you get it. Now you're running into a scenario where if you're your NBC or your IndyCar, in my opinion, you run the risk of losing the casual viewer because suddenly they're misinterpreting what was IndyCar to now watching F1. And it's not even yeah. a drive to survive hook to get them to watch F1. <laughs> it's a natural progression because the cars look so similar now. So yeah. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner that's my concern um but yeah, it's again, a very crowded very congested market isn't it you know there's lots of uh lots of competitors for that as you say that casual armchair fan who doesn't know who any of the drivers are but just want to see cars going fast and all oh, that looks cool um and yeah you know i do worry that uh, and this has been you know I've, I've always said for a long time that some of the racing in the indycar series is some of the best motorsport in the world but they if they can shoot themselves in the foot or any other appendage they will do their damnedest to make it happen well and i think the other part too is is like it's not always indycar in this scenario because tv has got sure, sure. got so much power and i think the, the part that i'm actually somewhat this is the part where i would say that the momentum loss doesn't hit like maybe it would have three or four years ago is because now you're starting to see advertising for IndyCar on the network on yep. a regular occurrence. It's not, it's not, let's just promote the Indy 500. And then you're going to hear word of mouth from a friend about the rest of the races. You're not going to see advertisement on the TV. Whereas now, you know, during the week, if I'm watching a hockey game or a basketball game or something, you're going to, you're going to sit there and see a random advertisement fly up uh, mm -hmm. for, for this next race. So I think that's good. I saw it for St. Pete. I see it for Texas and we're still a week and a half out for Texas. Um, so I think those are really crucial uh, and it helps mitigate the loss of momentum there. But, uh, you know, again, there's, it still hurts whenever you're not yeah. going to be able to put something on track. Um, 
and I will say this though, um, not to go off the crazy beaten path, but we're talking about <laughs> kind of where, where things are within the sport. Some recent announcements that I thought were actually really good were the fact that we're going to have concerts at Iowa Speedway. So not only do we have the recent announcements where High V has somehow managed to get uh, Pepsi and Google and DoorDash kind of involved with that race weekend, which is huge because as we all know, it's, it's not just that you get sponsors within the sport, but it's what can be recognized to the consumer, right? Like nobody knows what the hell Sonax is on the side of, of Renus VK's car. You yeah. Know, but if you go and you talk about DoorDash and Google and Pepsi, everyone's like, Oh, Hey, I know those. Yeah. So you get recognizable consumer brands at that race weekend, but now you've got what they said, Tim McGraw, Florida Georgia line, um, Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton for, for that weekend for the double header, which is great because, you know, we see this kind of interaction on road courses with trying to turn it into a festival, but we haven't really seen it at ovals outside of Indy. And this almost feels like you're trying to create a mini snake pit kind of vibe to the Iowa race weekend. So I understand the ticket price went up significantly as a result. Uh, not a surprise, uh, kind of sucks. I'm sure it's going to turn some people away, but at the same time, if, if some people are there for the concerts and somehow they watch some of the race and kind of get attracted to it, then, then that's a plus for the series. Right. So yeah, it's, it's at least worth trying. And I'd say at least we're in an environment now where indie cars at least, or people involved in the sport are willing to try things. Uh, yeah. And, and you gotta take your hats off to high V uh, for being just all in on, on, Absolutely, on the other yeah. IndyCar sponsorship. Because, yeah, again, to your point earlier, there are fewer and fewer direct-to-consumer marketing campaigns in, in motor racing, and simply because hey, there are more effective and less expensive ways to reach your target audience than slapping your logo on a race car. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of, even like even in NASCAR, a lot of the uh, sponsors you see are largely business-to-business deals. Uh, sort of things and there's a lot of those in IndyCar and the, the very few consumer products that are that are left uh, are not doing a ton of activation even you know even like Verizon's been yeah. great, great supporter for a year but they do so little uh, activation or you know and I know it's it doesn't fall on the sponsor to promote the series but uh, you know if they would casually mention you know hey you know mm-hmm. sponsor of uh the team Penske IndyCar, that would be nice. And, and even, you know, uh, all the time Target was involved, you can go in a Target, Target store and not see anything kind of related to um, the racing. But uh, I, I, I had read a comment from a fella who was uh, stopped into a Hy-Vee store somewhere. And he said the place was full of uh, Jack Harvey cutouts and, and, and all through the store. So it, it's just really nice to see uh, somebody with a consumer brand utilizing yeah. the IndyCar series to reach their, um, you know, their, their target market. And, and I just, I wish them much success with it. They've taken yeah. on the promotion of the Iowa, the Iowa weekend. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope it all goes well. Yeah. I mean the, the big, and, and also there's TV spots with Jack now. So like uh, there, that happened during the St. Pete weekend, the, you don't know Jack uh, campaign that they they're on right now. So that's encouraging big investment from them. And, you know, I, this is kind of a wild thought and I don't have the clear answer for this, but I'm kind of wondering if, because prior to 2020, before the world stopped and got all crazy, 
Um, we had so many business to business sponsors in IndyCar to where it didn't matter about TV numbers as much. It was mostly focused on having drivers come up to suites and entertain and shake hands with guests. And whether that's like wine tasting or all this other crazy stuff that, that they do. Uh, in, yeah. In and, group. and showcasing their technology, which is yeah. like what's a HP and arrow like to use automation to showcase their technology, those sort of things. Yeah. But it's not, they really, it's not aimed at the consumer. Yeah, exactly. And so that was pre 2020. And that was kind of how a lot of the businesses work that were B2B in IndyCar. But now you're running into a scenario where human interaction, human contact, things like that are a little bit more limited now, you know, the masks and so forth. And now you're running into a scenario where maybe this is forcing different types of activation, like maybe COVID in some weird way actually aided IndyCar in the long run because of different activations that sponsors are having to do now to where now maybe it goes back to the way it used to be in some respects, not completely, but of how it's about TV numbers, how it's about activating with consumers and not necessarily driven to just show ponies and sweets kind of, kind of type thing. So um, just food for thought. I don't, like I said, I don't have the answer to that, but it's certainly something that I've kind of pondered in my own head, uh, fairly recently. Yeah. It's an interesting thought for sure. So, but let's, uh, let's move away from IndyCar again. We're, uh, like I said, a week and a half out from Texas. Uh, we will see the debut of, uh, both Jimmy Johnson and Romain Grosjean in their oval starts. And, uh, both of those guys, I'm kind of looking forward to see how they do on an oval. I mean, Jimmy gets so much, uh, crap from the fans uh for languishing at the back but i i am under the impression that he's uh he's gonna be he's gonna be right there solidly in the mix when we get in an oval and uh grosjean as well you know well it's not grosjean's oval debut because he ran gateway last year yep now, now that yep and he actually it's his uh, first big boy oval big boy Super oval speedway yeah. in the sense of speedway and, and other sanctionings but you get the point. Right. Yeah. I just, I just forgot for a second. He ran gateway and he was quite impressive at gateway as well. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be, uh, if I remember. Yeah. 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 He was so, diving down the inside of people all over the place, passing people left and right. Yeah. He's yeah. Hey, I, I like this. I like this short. Old. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, uh, let's turn our gears to NASCAR for a bit. We're, um, again, three races into the season plus, um, you know, the exhibition race at the Coliseum and, and Louise, uh, you spent some time down in Daytona to see uh, Austin Cindric, uh take off the win. And I don't know. We like to talk about Austin Cindric. It's be just because I'm buddies with his dad and we, we followed his career all the way through, uh, you know, all the way through Xfinity and whatnot. And, and we always like to joke that his, the comment that he made several years ago, because I believe that my road to the Indy 500 goes through NASCAR. So I guess he's a step closer now to get to the Indy 500. Um, yeah, by taking his first <laughs> cup win, uh, yeah. but, but in, in doing so, um, you know, he's got what, what seven starts, seven cup starts to his credit. He has seven from last year and he could have, if, if a certain pit strat, if the final pit stop went a little bit better, Cindric would have been up there with Logano and Keselowski at the very end of the 21 fire. He's, he led several laps. So. It right, right, but he's but he's still considered a rookie. A full, yeah, a full still rookie. Con still considered a rookie, which is interesting because there was a whole flap about Penske put out the thing and said Austin Cindric is the first rookie to win the uh, Daytona 500, and everybody says uh, Trevor Bain. Uh, it was Trevor Bain's only his second start, but because he didn't 
Uh, you know, he didn't put into the eligible rookie of the year. He wasn't considered a rookie, which makes no sense in, in no matter how you try to explain it. But, uh, but, but either way, uh, considered a rookie, but heck, he drove like a veteran. He had a great race all day long, avoided trouble, stayed close to the front, and was there when it counted the most. Yeah, it was an interesting 500. It felt refreshing that it wasn't much crash course TV. Yeah, you still had your moments with Harrison Burton and Kasowski's number of instances that he caused or didn't cause. Mm-hmm. But in all things considered, it wasn't like a total disaster like the last couple of years, like in 2020 and 20 and the first couple of years of stage racing. So that was refreshing. If uh, they were all minor, it's not like all the field got wiped up at the, at the end of stage one. There's only a couple cars, but Cedric had a strong showing all throughout. He was there. He was either out in front or helping his teammate Ryan Blaney. He was he pretty much learned a lot being an offense and defense in that scenario. And I think it, him getting the win ultimately paid off. He just had to hell off Blaney. He got and Bubba Wallace, who showed up towards the very towards the tail end of the race. That kind of kind of telling that Bubba and Super Speed Racing go hand in hand. That he's been he won Talladega. He did it on merit. He passed them when he needed to, and then at, in the five hundred, he's just had a strong joy when it matters most. And oh my gosh, yeah, another another hundred yards. I think Bubba would have won that thing. He would. Yeah, he, sure. he was side by side at the line. Yeah, for sure. But with Cindric, it was just. It was certainly didn't surprise me that he ran as well, much less win it, because like I mentioned, he could have probably won it last year. But as far as the whole rookie discrepancy, I had to make it very clear on social media that Cindric drove last year's 500. So he's not part of the the rookie bunch that ran the 500, which the highest finishing rookie, I might add, was Jacques Villeneuve, the ones who, as far as Daytona 500 rookies concerned, who... All intents and purposes, he had a good showing, but then once the duels onwards, he's just kind of like dipped in the radar. The same with Biffle as well. Not a rookie, but his first start since 2016. That just reliability just kind of became an issue for those guys, for those open cars that made the 500. But yeah, it was it. It was definitely a Ford weekend. Yeah, there was a little bit of period of time that the Hendricks showed up, but that was only in the dual race at some intense purposes. But once the strategy, once the pit strategy and the duels happened, you knew this strategy might have been a factor, but Ford was just on top of things and it, and it showed. So, fortunately, like I said many a times, if Fords don't shoot themselves in the foot, they'll win the 500. And they did win the 500. Yeah, they sure did. Yep. So, uh, but since then, we've had uh, well, two Chevy wins. Um, mm-hmm. at, but. Um, the ones who won it were not the strong, were not necessarily the car to beat. Fontana was Tyler Reddick and even Eric Jones to some extent. Reddick was just there. And then, well, then uh, the incident going into turn number two, Reddick was about to avoid. And then Byron just pretty much door slammed him for inexplicable reason that took him out of the, the running. But also, the one that stood out is Trackhouse Racing with Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez and Fontana's war. It was definitely Daniel Suarez that was in the mix. And had he made one one decisive moment, could have gotten him his first win for him and the race team. But he just got outnumbered by Larson and showed up when it mattered most. And he got the win. 
But it wasn't like your last year where he dominated a race and just walked away with it. He showed up when it mattered most when all those front runners were starting to either have single car spins, flat tires, or get collected in other people's mess. All right. So let's talk about the flat tires now, okay? Because uh, Richard, uh, we began to have a conversation um, off the air before we started about, uh, you know, NASCAR, the new wheels, the new tires, the lower profile, the single lug nut. Um, the, the fan reaction is kind of mixed. Um, there's kind of a lot of uh, misinformation out there. Um, you know, we're, we've been seeing some uh, failures with, uh, with flat tire. We've been seeing some failures with, uh, with rims. We saw uh, some, you know, teams try to modify the rims somewhat and uh, get them impounded. So Richard, what's your take on the new, uh, uh, the new wheel, the new low-profile tire uh, on the new car. Was there? Uh, I haven't heard any update from that uh, issue with the. Uh, I think it was mainly Penske wheels, wasn't it? That had been... Penske, Penske, and then the uh, the Keselowski Roush team. The, yeah, so the, the two of them, team, they had uh, they had yeah. um, done some sort of modification to the wheel. They had them impounded, uh, but that was during the uh, duels, and they, uh, you know, in, yeah. in, in in race trim, they they didn't alter the tires. They were perfectly legal in race trim. Yeah. No, apparently they couldn't. Yeah, there was some issue that they, they weren't. From what I read, it was or the defense from Roger Penske was well, the the wheel rims we were we were provided didn't meet the specifications, so we just modified them to make them meet the specification, which is always a little bit of a a contentious uh, excuse, and <laughs> it's not an uncommon one. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, you know on the whole, looking at it, the uh, to, to my mind anyway, the purpose of going to the single wheel. Uh, or single lug nut uh, wheel has been reasonably successful. Um, you know, they, they want to make the cars look more aggressive, more street, you know, for want of a better term. Um, and, and I think they've certainly achieved that with these. They, they, they do look good. They do look modern. They do look like a, to, to, you know, I hate, hate to use a, a proper race car now. Um, you know, it's knocked, what, two seconds off the average pit stop, pit stop time. Uh, you know, you're now waiting on the fuel guy pretty much most of the time rather than the tire changes. Um, and, you know, from, a, from an engineering perspective, obviously lower profile uh, tire is more of a challenge because I'm seeing, come right and saying these tires don't have an inner liner now. So if you lose one of these tires on an oval, the tire just goes down. There's no secondary tire to, 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 to sort of catch you, for want of a better word. Um, and, yeah, we have seen a few issues where, cars have, have maybe locked up and you know had flats and then sort of beached themselves on the transition between the track and the apron um and you know some people have complained that oh well you know the cars can't drive themselves back to the pits and the car goes a lap down or well you know at the end of the day you've spun out and you know should you losing a lap is probably not the biggest issue when you you know you spin out i i think that's a little bit of a an excuse that people are maybe looking to try and find holes in the modern uh, rules package. Well, this is, this is, this is of course exacerbated by the fact they had to change the tire on uh, Austin Cindric's car after he blew him out doing his burnouts to get the car to victory lane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which was, I I mean, it was, it was kind of, it's kind of fun and kind of funny, but not a great look on television. No, but as I said, they'll, they'll live, they'll get over it. Um, but, you know, obviously one of the other issues you've got is obviously these are, you know, far 
lower profile tires so you do get more roll on the tire you do get more sidewall um you know deviation around the bead which is something you haven't necessarily seen in the big bigger older taller sidewall tires that they've been running for 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 however long it's been um so from an engineering standpoint you know there are some changes going on there and still god still the teams insist on trying to run as lower pressure as possible and probably you know without knowing for certain but it wouldn't surprise me if there's teams there running well underneath the the, the goodyear recommended pressure and um a few years ago uh, mclaren uh electronics who provide the ecus and the digital dash and the like to uh nascar they they actually implemented a tire pressure system tire monitoring pressure system within the digital dash so in theory, the driver could see each individual tire pressure through the digital dash. Um, and that would allow NASCAR to monitor the tire pressures and make sure that, <coughs> excuse me, people aren't doing, you know, running these tire pressures too low. But that was deemed too expensive. And it was a very, very expensive um, system to implement. Uh, so, so they don't run that now. I think teams can run it during testing, but uh, during the race, there's no tire pressure uh, notification, so uh, teams would teams to a certain extent can run pressures whatever level they like, and it does put stress and strain on the uh, on, on the sidewall of the tires, and you, you will see more punctures the lower the uh, lower they run the pressures because of the sort of lateral loads and transfer, especially on some of these ovals. So teams all you know they'll get there, they'll get it sorted out, but they're always going to try games. They're always going to try and you know, gain an advantage and, you know, every little area that they possibly can. So I'm sure. So, so how do you, how do you feel this is going to play out on some of the uh, natural train road courses we're visiting this year? Cause it's a, uh, it's a whole lot easier to kind of get high sided. If you've got uh running low tire pressures, if you're, you know, hitting one of the, the curbs there, let's say, you know, say road America or mid Ohio or, uh, or even on like the Roval at Charlotte, uh, it's a little, little easier to kind of get a beach than it is on an oval. Yeah. I mean, I think what you'll see is I think there, more so than a super speedway, you'll see the drivers adapt because one of the things you do have with these new lower profile tires is they are wider. So you have more of a, and you'll definitely see it on a um, road course because of the camber they'll run is not so staggered to fit uh, or to suit a, an oval. On a road course, it's a far more neutral setup. And so with the larger contact patch with the road surface, you, you'll get more grip. So I think you'll see the smarter drivers not necessarily hammering the curbs and going for these, um, you know, the shortest line. They'll go for the high grip line, which, you know, tyres only give grip when they're in contact with the road. Uh, so if you're bouncing over these curbs and throwing the car around, you're not going to get the grip. So I think you'll see a change of driving style when it comes to the uh, to the road courses, maybe compared to what we've seen in the past, because these cars are, are fundamentally road course cars and they're designed with their independent suspension and their, uh, you know, these larger, fatter tyres. And, you know, there's not supposed to be skew in these cars. They're not supposed to naturally want to turn corners. That's supposed to be all in the driver's hands. And with stuff like the sequential gearboxes, which we know that some of the drivers, namely Denny, Denny Hamlin at uh, Vegas last weekend, has really struggled with that. And I think we saw Tyler Reddick as well at one of the races damage his transmission. Um, so there's a lot of changes there for the drivers to pick up on and learn. 
But I think you're going to start seeing over the coming weeks and months, um, you know, the, the, the smart drivers, the ones who are in tune with the car, should we say, are, are really going to start to come to the fore as they, they learn what these cars are capable of. Yeah, certainly that's going to play nicely into the hands of the guys with, uh, you know, good amounts of road course experience behind them, you know, say like... Uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, 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 like an A.J. Allmendinger, Chase Elliott, yeah, yeah um, Michael McDowell to a large extent. Yeah, but also I think, you know, certainly even in the time that I've been, you know, involved in watching the sport, you, you see less and less of these, you know, what, what you know, the, the road course ringer style because the levels at which these guys now are, are, are working at, as these cars get more technically advanced, the demands on the driver are going to become more technically advanced. The drivers that spend the time in the simulator and, and doing all of this pre-event work, they're the ones that are really going to come to the fore in the you know coming months and years as this car develops. Um, so I, I think it's going to work, you know, bring in a new era of NASCAR and how drivers prepare and how they drive and, and what their the level of expectation on a driver is go, going forward. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'm going to be the first one to tell you on record. I, I really like the new car. Uh, yeah. I, I like the way, I, it lo- I like the way it looks. I like the way it drives. I like what they've done with it. It's uh, it's something NASCAR's needed for a while, well, despite what some of the old timers might think, you know, yeah. it ain't stock. Well, it hadn't been stock since uh, no, middle, middle, middle fifties. Right. So, but when you look at it as well, some of the things that the drivers have said is that with the old car, because of the way they were set up and because of the, the, the pure configuration of the car, the, those cars, and you'd hear some of them use this word, they were, you'd drive them in the track. And it sounds a little bit difficult to explain, but, you know, as you turn the car, you know, the, 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 the car would naturally want to turn with the track and it would be you know, a combination of car and track that would, would work. Whereas with these cars, and I think you've seen it with, and even guys like, I mean, how often in the last five years have you seen Kyle Busch just lose a car in practice? Or... Kevin Harvick lose a car in practice, you know, relatively rare. And you've already seen that, you know, on a, some pretty down good drivers in the first two, excluding Daytona, the first two races of the season, spin out in practice and, and qualifying on the race without any contact, without any help. And they say that the car is on the track rather than in the track, which means it's more in the driver's hands and it's more in what the driver's doing necessarily compared to what the car's doing. So I, I think that's great to see. I think it's going to be fun to watch how, how the season progresses and, and who really, you know, rises to the top uh, when we get to, uh, uh, you know, we've got, uh, what do we have, like six or seven road courses on the schedule this yeah. year? Yeah, I think Coda's the first one, isn't seven. it? Yep, Coda's coming up. I think it's the week after IndyCar, Texas. Yeah. So, all right, let's, well, let's switch gears. Um with the sequential one and uh hey and hey and talk about uh, formula one because there's a lot a lot of uh, news in formula <laughs> one although we're not racing yet but let's yeah. uh let's start with the michael andretti and uh, andretti yeah. Ac- acquisition group uh so andretti mm-hmm. acquisition group uh evidently has or and she's now rebranded as andretti global Yep. Uh, submitted an application to begin a Formula One team in, I believe, 2024. 
correct. Um, yeah. He's got his application in and uh, some reports I've read or, you know, people say, oh, Michael doesn't have that kind of money. And a lot of the reports mm-hmm. I've read is that uh, and, and Andretti Global and Andretti Acquisition Company actually uh, has a lot of money in that that 200 million entry fee is just chump change, which makes yeah. me think they probably have an engine partner lined up. Now, there's there's been some talk of them and, and Renault. There have been some whispered rumors that they're, uh, uh, you know, talking with the uh, the Volkswagen Group. Um, uh, mostly speculation, nothing solid. But uh, uh, yeah, but this is uh, Michael is one hundred percent serious about this. The, I mean, he was he was one hundred percent serious about uh, uh, buying into um, Alfa Romeo, and that uh, that fell through. Uh, it's it's now come out that he's he's actually four or five times approached Gene Haas about buying out Gene Haas. Um, and Haas just wouldn't sell. So Michael's going to go on his own. Um, although Haas may be in a position to sell right yeah. now, but that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's for, that's for our next story. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I think it's pretty exciting. A lot of folks think it's sheer folly on Michael's part, but if he's got the money and the partners lined yeah. up, I, you know, and, and Haas as an American team hasn't exactly made a splash in the world. Uh, I mean, you know, it's 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 great that we have a uh, an American team in F1, although they're based in Britain and until very recently uh, sponsored by uh, Russian. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so 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 Michael seems to be all in um, looking at American driver, most likely Colton Herdeth, you know, by uh, yep. by most reports. So um, what what is the likelihood that that? He actually gets approved because I know it's it's a tough club to break into. Um, you know, if, if you don't buy an existing team, it would increase the grid to 22 cars, which I, you know, I'd be fine with that. You know, when I first started watching Formula One, they routinely ran 26. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I honestly yep. think the 20, 20 car field is kind of low. So, yep. Richard, what, what are your thoughts on this? You just spent the last couple of weeks in Europe. I'm sure you've heard a little bit of that over there as well. Yeah, yeah, more than two weeks. Goodness me, it's feel like a lifetime. But yes, um, it's to tell you the truth, the reaction's been a little bit disappointing. Um, you've had a lot of the big players at some of the other teams, you know, and, uh, Toto Wolf guys like that coming around, and the reaction hasn't exactly been resoundingly positive. To be truthful. It's been, oh, well, you know, he's got to make sure he brings the right money. And, oh, well, you know, it's all been very, like, almost like somebody wants to join the country club and and, and they're not exactly, you know, okay with it. Um, they don't want to, excuse me, share the spoils with, um, with Andretti and his group. Uh, so that's been a little bit disappointing. And even people like Ross Braun have turned around and said, look, guys, shut up. You know, to, to reading between the lines, you need to encourage people to come into sport and help grow the sport, especially in the US market, where we have two races this year and, and probably within two or three years, we'll have three races because they're very seriously talking with uh, about setting up a race in Vegas. So the potential is, is growing, you know, with, with sort of the Drive to Survive Netflix series, which has been a massive coup for uh, the US market uh, with, with Formula One. So it's the right time for Andretti to come in. Um, I, as I say, I've been disappointed with the reaction of some of the bigger teams, and obviously their mentality is, well, damn, here comes somebody else coming to take our prize money, and that's part of the thing. If you want to join Formula One, you have to pay like a, a two hundred million dollar 
um, sort of compensation package yeah, the, the other team. Yeah, yeah. Entry, sort of entry, ent- entry fee, yeah. So. Well, no, this is different from the entry fee. Oh, yeah, you got to pay the other teams just to... You've got to pay the entry fee, which is 100 and whatever. Then you've got to pay all the other teams combined another $200 million. I mean, basically, to, to do this seriously, you need a billion dollars in, in, in all reality, you know. Over the course of two or three years, before you can become an established team with, you know, no question marks hanging over your existence, you will have to invest a billion dollars in those first three years, which is an astronomical amount of money. And, you know, we're not talking the $150 million a year or the $200 million uh, you know, compensation package or whatever other fees you've got to pay. You know, this is a serious amount of money. And this is, you know, as you said, the, the Andretti group has a lot of money. Does it have that much money which they can spend for basically no return? You know, it's not like you're getting that money back anytime soon. So th- th- there are obviously questions there, but I, I do genuinely hope that they do come on board, they do grow and they do make it work. The timing is a little bit interesting. The timing makes me think that they have an existing engine supplier lined up. So Honda or Red Bull engine or Red Bull, whoever that is going forward, Ferrari, Renault or Mercedes. Um, and I, I'm guessing it's going to be Renault out of that that uh, group. Yeah, because, Renault, Renault has been kind of publicly <clears throat> supporting Andretti. You know, they said they'd be yeah. there for technical assistance and whatnot, which you would imagine yeah. if, you know, if Andretti's bringing somebody else as an engine supplier, we're yeah, not, we're not, not be right, right there to, to no. be over technical assistance. So, yeah. But 20, yeah, but the next big engine change is 2025. So, why would you say you're an Audi or a Porsche or the Volkswagen group, or what, you know, whoever that may be, obviously under that umbrella of, of multiple companies? Um, why would you enter in 2024 when you've got to design another engine for 2025? So the timing, if he turned around and said, oh, I want to join in 2025, that would lead more down that road of uh, a new engine supplier. The fact that he's saying 2024 makes you think to be an existing engine supplier. Not right, or, yeah, well, or that he'll come in and use a customer engine for one year uh, and utilize 2024 to kind of get his feet wet in the sport and then bring in you know factory yeah I, I uh, yeah you know days, either either way yeah. but yeah i think but, these days, the engine integration in the car is such a huge deal and from an engine supplier you know where's the benefit from that because they're not cheap things to do you know in reality engine suppliers don't make much money on customer teams you know it's just basically a, a data collection tool rather than oh we make you know Mercedes don't make money off Williams, for example, or McLaren in reality. You know, they, 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 they lose because it's such a huge undertaking to produce extra engines for those, those cars. So, yeah, I, I think if he is doing 2024, I think it'd be Renault. I think it is already, a, you know, an, an agreed on paper. You also got to remember as well now Alpine, Renault, whoever you want, whatever you want to call them. Their new managing director is uh, Otmar, and I can't pronounce his surname, Schnappenhauser, I think is. Uh, but he's a, you know, he used to work for Ford. He's worked in America. He's an American uh, citizen. So he does have that link. And he probably knows the Andretti family reasonably well with his links. So there could very, very well be that tie in there as well. So, yeah, but, but at, at the end of the day, of at the end of the day, if we're going to have a, an American team in Formula One, I mean, the Andretti name is. 
Oh, 100%. Very, very recognizable. And, and then Michael himself is, is a brilliant businessman. Oh yeah, you know. So yeah. I, I think he's yeah. the I think he's the right guy, uh, and the timing is yeah. right to get a to get a an American team in there. I, I know we have well, this is the we have yeah, we, but, we have the Haas team, but, but it's yeah. But this is the whole misnomer again, and this is what happened with Haas. Yes, Haas does have a North Carolina base down. You know, the building is opposite the NASCAR team, but they are yes, their FIA license is. An American team, they they race under the American flag uh, and all that sort of. But from a design perspective and a car manufacturing perspective, they are a British team or a European team. They have very close ties with uh, Ferrari, and this is one of the yeah, yeah. Was say, actually, they're they're nearly an Italian team between Delara yeah, and Ferrari. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is actually one of the things that Ferrari have used to circumnavigate the. Um, budget cap with employees is it's actually shifted a lot of employees from Ferrari to Haas. And I'm sure there's a lot of cross talk there with design, you know, a lot of uh, cross communication between that group. And of course the, the actual car build facility is the old Manor Virgin F1 team in Banbury in, in the UK. So, um, you know, the, the, U.S. arm of it is purely a marketing and branding exercise, and until last weekend, they were fully sponsored by uh, a, a Russian organization with a Russian driver. And as we've learned today, uh, Kevin Magnuson is now returning to partner Mick Schumacher in that team. Right. So let's um, so so let's sorry, talk. Yeah. Let's yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So Haas had Ukraine lined up for a sponsor, uh, yep. as the driver. Um, yep. Uh, a ride that some folks felt he didn't deserve, felt he was in over his head. Certainly he didn't, you know, he didn't make any waves as a driver. Um, yeah. But then, of course, the, you know, the uh, events of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Russia invading the Ukraine has, uh, you know, turned a lot of public sentiments against Russia as, uh, as it should be. Uh, so uh, Haas opted to cut ties with Ukraine and thusly, mm-hmm. Cut ties with cut ties with Mazepin because his seat was contingent on those sponsor payments. Yeah. Now, now suddenly you have people defending Mazepin, saying, "Oh well, it wasn't his fault. He shouldn't yeah. make the, the it's it's well, no, it wasn't his fault, right? And yeah. yeah, yes, he is collateral damage, but his ride was contingent on that sponsorship. Exactly, uh, and and there's as a um. You know, there's a, I'm sure in a lot of these contracts, there's a lot of, uh, what, I can never remember the legal, force majeure, I think is the legal term for it, where the contracts can be terminated when uh, either party brings the other party's reputation into question. And I think, given the circumstances of what we're seeing globally right now, a Formula One car branded with a Russian sponsor would certainly bring that the, the the good name of, of the Haas brand and Haas automation um, into into question. Yeah, so, and certainly, and, and not only is, uh, you know, you Crowley, um, I mean, uh, Mazepin's dad is a close associate of uh, yes. Vladimir Putin. So, which yes. means he's right there in the inner circle. So, and uh, yeah, so Haas wants to distance himself. Of course, now, of course, you Crowley is, is seeking legal action to damages and wants a repayment of uh, what they have put in um, as their yeah. 
likely entitled to, but I mean, I, well, you know, how are they going to get paid? Exactly. Yeah. There's going to be embargoes on, on that money. Well, not, but, but at the end of the day, so Kevin Magnuson is back in the fold here, right? And that was so um, interesting that, that yeah. a, Kevin's it's, actually got a, a multi-year deal because, yeah, yeah. you know, that's so obviously there's the finances there and there's, there's everything in place. And, and as Gene has said, has said for a number of years now, and he made the point again, in the last couple of days when he was asked explicitly about this new, you know, the pulling out of their previous Russian sponsor, you know, he said the Hass automation has always been the primary sponsor of the Hass F1 team. Yes. They've had other companies come along and had that, you know, there's that rich energy and all that fiasco. And now you've had this fiasco. Yes. They obviously bring money to the table, but the, the, the common core backer of that team has been Hass Automation and, and um, you know, so there, yeah, as he says, hey, look, he's, as any business would be, they always want a cash injection and a cash input and the sponsorship is obviously where that happens in Formula One uh, and any motorsport. But, um, you know, he's, he's a pretty smart guy. You know, he's run very successful businesses globally um, and, you know, he's not going to have all of his eggs in one basket purely relying on money from rich energy or money from a, you know, a Russian oligarch. So I, I think the long-term future of that team is reasonably secure. Um, and the fact that Magnuson has signed what they've phrased as a multi-year contract. So you're probably looking at two years of the possible third year or however these things typically work. So there's obviously some uh, stability within the team, which is great to see because Formula One needs teams like this. And, uh, you know, the people that they employ need the job. So I think it's it's a good sign long term for the sustainability of the team um, and the, um, you know, the, the FIA probably needs a little bit of credit here with the, the cost caps that they've introduced. And maybe that's starting to play out here. Uh, we obviously don't know the finer finance, the finer details of the finances, but it's probably probably a good situation to be in. Yeah, so and let's, if so let's, they get an experienced driver to aid Mick in his second year, because remember last year was all rookies. This time they have an established yeah. veteran that's been with the team, uh, even though yep. he did say a while back that he won't. He, if he come back to Formula One, if he could compete for wins, now no, please a, don't give me that crap. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. getting he's getting paid handsomely, but but I do want to talk. Exactly. I do want to talk about um, Pietro Fittipaldi. Who was yeah. uh, Gene Haas was uh, uh, very public in saying that that you know if anything happened, Pat Fittipaldi was their guy. And, yeah, he was. And, uh, he said that he's. He, he was. Said, he was the first choice reserve driver. No, I think the he, words he said, that he the, the words that I read were he was our first choice. Well, yeah, I. I yeah, maybe, yeah, so. maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, but I, I mean, but I, the, I saw him say that he's our reserve driver, which. You know, but I think he's doing because we're obviously recording this on Wednesday night I think, of, of the Bahrain test. So I think Fittipaldi is doing tomorrow. Fittipaldi is, is doing the test. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I'm sure Magnuson and, and Mick will split uh, the Friday, Saturday running to to at least give both drivers some more time in the car. And, you know, you, you do obviously have a certain amount of, of, of sympathy for, for, for Fittipaldi here. Well, here, here's here's the interesting thing, right? Though, you know, one of one of the knock on the Haas team is they have not employed an American driver, right? Now, although Pietro races under the Brazilian flag, 
he is indeed an American citizen, having been born in Florida, and he holds dual citizenship in both the United States and Brazil. So that would have been, you know, the closest thing we've had to an American driver in F1 since uh, since Rossi was in there. Um, and it, just from a, a sheer marketing standpoint, you know, this kid was born and raised in Florida. You know, you can call him Brazilian all day long, but he's a Florida guy. <laughs> so but, but, um, yeah, yeah. Saying, but does he have? No, 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 no. I, 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 obviously, Magnuson has got um, much, much more experience, and he's going to be more of an asset to the team. I would just talk it from a sheer, yeah, marketability, but think, but marketability also, point of view. Here, here's our Ameri- it, American team and our American driver. But I, I would flip that and say, is it where is the marketability with him? Because if Colton Herta you know, wins the IndyCar Championship and goes to Formula One. That's a huge marketing tool. If, you know, I don't know, Jimmy Johnson ever went, or get, you know, Jeff Gordon ever went to Formula One, that's a huge marketing tool because they already have that presence. And I'm not being disrespectful to it, but what's Pietro Fittipaldi done in his career to demand that marketing tool? I'm just saying he's, you know. No, for one, sure. I know yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 one of the knocks on Haas is they have not actively no. sought an American driver. Yes, they did uh, employ Santino Ferrucci for a small time as a uh, a sim driver, uh, but, but uh, that yeah. did that didn't work out either. So, oh well. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just a thought. No. I was I was kind of I was kind of happy for Pietro. I had a chance to. Uh, meet him and speak with him a few times. I, I like the kid. I think he's talented. Uh, you know, I'd love to see him in great equipment, which is maybe not the Haas team, but uh, at the end of the day, to be on the grid in a Formula One race um, is, is is really something. Oh, without a doubt. But is that, yeah. again, you sort of, you know, is that putting somebody in there because of their nationality or because they achieved, you know, the required results in the junior formula and the training categories to deserve that seat. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So uh, we've just, <laughs> we, <laughs> we've got a few minutes left. Uh, so uh, uh, we've got uh, Formula One testing this week and evidently Mercedes is going to show up with a car with no side pods. Richard, did you read that earlier today? Yeah, this has been going around for a little while. Apparently, Mercedes is coming with a completely new car for the second test. Well, the, well, this is technically the first test because the first one was classed as a shakedown. Um, and, you know, it, it also makes you question how Mercedes are managing their uh, the budget costs when they can produce completely new cars between the first shakedown and the first test. That's quite an eye-opener there. And with all the crash testing and everything else that needs to go on with it. But, yes, I mean... You started to see that now a lot of, you know, Williams have it. They have these, the radiators are basically getting the cooling duct on the top of the uh, engine box. And Williams, you know, again, a Mercedes engine uh, customer. If you look at their side pods, they actually have a pass through over the top. uh, You know, there's an exit from the side pod on the top of the side pod. So very little air going into that Williams side pod is actually being used through the radiators as cooling. So if Mercedes fully understand the packaging and how it can be done, it's obviously a massive bonus, uh, you know, going forward to 
narrow that section of the car as much as possible. Um, as long as they can mount the crash structure and the side impact uh, structures, you know, appropriately, uh, then, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what they can come up with. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Now, I, re I recall back in the 80s, the early 80s, a couple of cars uh, with very similar design with the almost no side pods. I, I yeah. say a Benetton, uh, Brabham um, for sure. Brabham had one. Yeah, but if you Brabham had one, yeah. So, but uh, Brabham yeah. Car, didn't the Brabham have the radiators in the nose? Mm, I, I want to say the Brabham, the one I'm thinking about, had radiators right forward of the uh, rear tires. Okay. And almost nothing, yeah, nothing in between. Me. And then the little, yeah. and I think the Benetton was the yeah. same way. Um, you talk yeah. about the brown with the radiator in the nose. That's a little earlier. I think that's that's a little okay. like le le late seventies there. Before my time, Frank. Before my time. Before your time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's so be fascinating to see though. This time tomorrow, we'll all know. We'll all and know. Yeah. This thing will know because it already happened. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, NASCAR, we're off to. Uh, is it Phoenix? Is that where we're going, Louise? Yep, they're going to Phoenix and. And we'll see how the Toyota camp do because Truex is the defending race winner in the spring race. Truex finished second in the fall race. That ultimately hurt him in the championship. But yeah, and also we have National Arca and Arca West is running along with Xfinity trucks. Don't run to Atlanta. Okay, and uh, just on another note, there was a uh, was it was it in the Arca series? Where yes, we had we, we yeah. had a, we had an accident with the uh, hauler, yep, and, with, and and the driver lost his life. Yep, that was carrying Taylor Grace seventeen car. Who, as far as I've I haven't heard anything if they're still going to compete or if they've withdrawn the entry <laughs> because Taylor's Taylor is one of those guys that I feel like would benefit running both East and West for the championships because. Out west is pretty thin right now. East is east as thin as it already is. But that's irrelevant right now because it is a very treasure. We have seen too many holler incidents, not just in Arca. We I mean, we've seen off-road accidents that took the lives of James Hilton. I know the, the NHRA had one last year. There's been too many of those happening as of late. Yeah, very tragic situation. And of course our our thoughts are with uh, his family, friends, and 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 the team there. Uh, very tragic situation, um, you know, as they they try to uh, uh, lick their wounds and get back to racing. Uh, so uh, we do have uh, we can go ahead and um, <laughs> I Joey's put some weird in the notes here. Um, where uh, we we. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, let, let's go ahead and pick us a winner for Phoenix, okay? Since that's the one race we got coming up this week. So, uh, Joey, I'll start with you. Who do you who do you like for the Phoenix NASCAR race? I know you don't watch a lot of NASCAR, but I'm sure you know enough names that you can uh, pull one out of the hat. Yeah, I'm glad to see you read the messages finally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catch up. Um, let's see. I Phoenix new car. Um, you know, probably I hate doing this because it seems like everybody's going to do this. I'll say Larson. All right. So, uh, Louise, who do you like? I'm going to go with Truex. All right. And Richard? Yeah, it's Phoenix and Havoc. 
I was going to say, it's, it's easy to pick Harvick for Phoenix, but golly, Harvick hadn't won a race in a while. If you picked on Marola, your chances would be better right now. It's just yeah, crazy. yeah. Well, but I, I'm going to tell you what. I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I'm going to tell you who I like for Phoenix is that's uh, Chase Elliott. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, with that being said, we've got uh, uh, Indy cars are going to be in Texas in two weeks or a week and a half, rather. Formula One gets their season going. Uh, IndyCar at NASCAR. Uh, IndyCar at NASCAR at Phoenix. And um, we are out of time. So, again, I want to thank uh, Dan Blay Automotive Racing Art for sponsoring us. I want to thank you, uh, Richard Louise Joey. I want to thank uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Spreaker, and YouTube for carrying us. But most of all, I want to thank you folks that listen to us Week in and week out. And we are back for 2022. So uh, we'll be back in one week. Until then, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 